aliens and flying saucers. Shaka Khan, and welcome to the 35th episode of Two Writers Sling and Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master from the great MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today's guest is Chris Palmer, the veteran freelance NBA writer who spent more than a decade with ESPN and now writes features somewhat frequently for the undefeated. And the focus of this podcast is, well, social media and perceived bias and Twitter ID photos and, in large part, Chris's dealings with LeVar Ball and the family. Is he fair? Is he biased? Am I just an idiot? It's a truly riveting discussion about modern journalism and what constitutes professionalism. And it's right now on Two Writers, Slinging Yang. Right, so Chris, first of all, um, thank you for joining me here. I, uh, I appreciate it very much. And uh, you have a very, very interesting sort of Twitter presence where you're very back and forth with people. You sort of want people to reach out to you. You want to go back and forth with them. You don't mind conflict. You don't mind getting into little scuffles here and there. Why? Man, you know what? I like to say that I, I I didn't invent the bold statement, but I think I was one of the NBA Twitter writers who used the bold statement very well in the early days of Twitter. And it was weird because I think I I don't know when you got on Twitter, but I got on it. I think I think we all got on like 2009, and Twitter is very different today than what it used to be, and I kind of discovered quickly that tweeting out sort of these bold kind of predictions got a really good response from people. And it was fun to go back and forth with people. You know, sometimes I'd be way off base in the kind of stuff that I was tweeting and sometimes I'd hit the mark. And But it was fun to engage people and sort of get that response. And I sort of developed this kind of uh, reputation of being this guy who could engage people. And who could sort of move the needle a, t- you know, a tiny little bit? You know, I don't do it as much as I used to because it's kind of old hat. And I have a weird relationship with Twitter, just like you do. I mean, I think you, you, your Twitter is 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 various, interesting in, in in all different sort of ways. But I just thought it was really fun to put those kind of thoughts out there. Like you're sitting around with your friends back in the day and you used to talk about basketball, and now you were able to do that you know, on Twitter. And I just think that was one of the really fun things about it. I don't think it's as fun as it used to be. Like, what do you think about that? I think I agree with you. I think it has a nastiness that it might have not had five years ago. That's very true. That's very true. Like, I almost go out of my way, like, not to be confrontational and not to offend people anymore. Because I don't want to open up my mentions and there's like 300 people just trying to kick your head in. Like, I, I don't want to offend anyone. Like, I don't want to go out of my – I go out of my way not to offend anyone. Like, I err on the side of positivity. Because if I tweet yeah. something like – okay, here, here's the perfect example. If I tweet, the Lakers are 1-11 and 11 from three-point land in this game, it'll get far less uh, attention or, or, or likes or whatever as if I say, the Lakers are awesome and they have a great future. And I don't know why I do this, but I tend to 
<clears throat> err on the side of of positivity. See, it's very interesting. I I, I teach down here at Chapman University, and and, and um, I don't really know what to tell. What I tell my students is, right now at this point in your lives, um, entering a journalism career, you don't want to get political. You don't want to tweet anything embarrassing about yourselves, you know, drunk pictures, blah, 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 stuff like that. But I don't really know what to tell them about how to use social media because I think it's kind of a big mess. And maybe at the end of the day, if you're 22 and entering journalism, the best thing you can do is tweet out your links and use it to sort of introduce yourself to journalists who you admire. One of the great things about Twitter, it's a terrible medium, by the way, to get your point across. Because yes. if you tweet something out uh, and you tweet it out without comment or without context and everyone jumps on your case, uh, you have to then follow up with all these other follow-up tweets and it just becomes very clumsy and it's just not a good medium to actually get your point across. What it is very useful for and helpful for journalists is to tweet out your stuff, the work that you've done. And I think that's one thing that's pretty, like, super irreplaceable about Twitter. I mean, I think we all have a kind of love-hate relationship with Twitter, but tweeting out the stuff, because how else is someone going to see your stuff? Um, so you've kind of, I would say, of late, well, within the past year or half year, sort of have, have earned some note for pieces you've written on the balls. Uh, LeVar Ball, yeah. uh, you know, the, the different, the three sons. and. I, I, I want to relate this to Twitter, and then I want to ask you specifically about the stories. You have your Twitter profile photo is you with two of the balls. So I, I, I will admit, I am a very, and I certainly violate this and blah, blah, but I am kind of a traditionalist. So, okay. and I do feel like Twitter is sort of a, you know, it's a calling card to say, hey, this is me. Is there a conflict or a sort of problem at all with your profile photo being you? you know, arm in arm with the balls, subjects right. you actually have to cover and write about. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, okay, so my profile picture is me and LeVar Ball and Lamella Ball. And I am perfectly aware when people see that, they probably, some people might roll their eyes and say, who is this guy? What is he doing with this profile picture? And me making that my profile picture I am definitely aware that I'm kind of opening myself up to some sort of scrutiny because I do a write a lot about the balls and I do have strong opinions on LeVar and the family. So you asking me that is a totally legitimate question and I'm definitely aware that there's probably some eye rolling going on, but let me ask you this right here though. Let me, let me ask you this right here. Yeah. Jeff. If you saw me, Walking down the street, and I'm wearing a big baller brand T-shirt or a big baller brand hat. What would your initial thought be? I would think you probably got the shirt for free from the boss. But would you say, uh, should this guy be wearing this shirt, or if, if if he's if he's covering them like that? That's what I'm trying to get after. Like, what would uh, other than I how would, I got it? Like, what would you think? Okay, so I I'm a uh, I'm just a guy who thinks. There needs to be sort of a separation. So yeah, if you were, you know, if you were, if you were wearing, it's one thing to be wearing a Nike shirt when you know whatever you can buy one for five bucks at TJ Maxx and blah blah, and you got your Nike shirt or whatever. I don't think it's great when journalists like I hate when I read Twitter profiles of some sports writer. There was one at Bleach Report. 
huge Seattle Seahawks fan, live and die with the Hawks, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? And I, I guess I would kind of feel the same way. Like, you, if you're going to be objective about these people, there needs to be a distance kept, I think. And maybe you disagree. And I, this is why I find this stuff fascinating, though. Like, I'm not, I'm not condemning you here. I actually find it really interesting. So what do you think I would think and what do you think I should think? I'm kind of interested. I would think because you are a traditionalist, uh, I would think that if you saw me doing wearing a big baller brand T-shirt, you'd be like, can I really trust what this guy is saying? Is he in the ball camp? I mean, what is this guy doing? Like, that's what I mm -hmm. think that you, as a traditionalist, as a purist, would think if you saw that. That's probably true. And, and you'd be I saying say, what? Oh, well, and then I would say... Uh, what if I you saw me walking down the street wearing a pair of Air Jordans? Right. Interesting. What is the difference between me wearing a pair of Air Jordans and me wearing a big baller brand T-shirt? In this business, I just really believe oftentimes perception becomes reality. Like if I think you're in cahoots with the balls, if I think you are sort of a mouthpiece for the balls, then I'm going to read a profile you write on the balls, and I'm going to be looking for every reason to have that belief reinforced. Jeff, I mean, I am totally aware of uh, the optics of the whole thing, um, and so if, if if you were if if you were looking at me and putting my stories under uh, that much more level of scrutiny because of my profile pic, I would totally understand. I wouldn't have any beef with you at all. But then, so then why do it? It's, I guess, what I'm interested in. Um, like, what are you trying to say? What am I trying to say with that picture? Yeah, I feel like we all try to say something. Like, my picture is a black and white picture of me looking serious, probably because I'm trying to look serious. Even you look though I'm very serious. Ridiculously not to look Very serious. And I'm not at all. So I don't even know what I'm trying to say. But I feel like everyone's trying to say something. I don't know. It's a difficult question to ask. I don't know if I'm, I just think it's a cool picture. Um, I don't know if, uh, if I'm actually trying to say anything. I think if I'm saying anything about the balls, I'm saying it, uh, in what I tweet about them and what I write about them. I, I get every day, every day, not every other day, but every day. Oh, you work for the balls. Oh, you, you're a mouthpiece for the ball. I, I, I constantly get it, uh, because of the picture. Yes. And because I speak so glowingly and positively, uh, about the family. I know that you are not a, a LeVar Ball fan. You are not a, you, you are not a Ball family uh, fan. I, the funny thing is, I really haven't given them that much thought. Um, I find the father uh, annoying. I think it's weird that you would, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the kid, he has no college, he cannot play college basketball anymore, correct? Uh, you're talking about which one? You're talking about LaMelo or uh, LiAngelo? You're talking uh, about LaMelo. Yeah, yeah, LaMelo. Yeah, he's done. He can't play college basketball. He can't play AAU. He is a professional now. I just find that to have my kid play in a subpar Lithuanian league and end it. I, the thing that I see that just bothers me in a huge way is sort of in the human sense of it all, which is there's a, there's a, there's a development that people need to go through, young people need to go through. And certainly there are exceptions to this rule, but like people – People need to go through sort of the sociological development that comes with youth, youth that comes with adolescence. It involves, uh, for whatever, straight boys, you know, being rejected by a girl. It involves maybe going to the prom. It involves uh, whatever, applying to college, the excitement of youth and blah, blah, blah. 
And I kind of look at this family from afar and even after reading your piece on him and think this dad has sort of taken some of it away. And you wrote something that I, first of all, I just want to say the story you wrote for the undefeated called LeVar Ball's Madness Has a Method is a, in many ways, a master class in feature writing. You, you're, Chris, I'm not exaggerating. You are a great wow. writer. And I actually want to get into after this. You wrote a piece in, in 2008 about Chris Birdman, Chris uh, Anderson. That's one of the right. best sports feature writers I've ever read in my life. Um, oh, wow. So Thank you. I, you know, I think you're a great writer. I, I really do. But there was a part here we wrote, but ball strategy goes beyond seemingly trolling. Each time a basketball A-lister takes a bait and LeVar's name makes the headlines, it's normally followed by a television appearance in which he's outfitted head-to-tone, big baller brand clothing line. Hats go for as much as 100, shirts for 70. Despite spending virtually nothing on advertising, LeVar said the brand gets about 50 orders a day through its website, thanks largely in part to his visibility on television. Uh, his newfound celebrity also boosts his primary business, Big Ballers Training, in which he charges 45 bucks a session to train young athletes. Operating mostly out of his backyard, a local park in the hills behind his house every week, he'll put two blah, 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 blah. I guess I see this from afar, and I think this dad seems like he's kind of milking his kids and sealing some of their youth. I could understand that if that's the view from afar. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, all right, here's my thing. Here's my thing about LeVar Ball. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that a LeVar Ball exists, meaning that here is a guy who came from Harvard Street in South Central Los Angeles, and now he has absolute autonomy. Like there, Lavar Ball's life depends on no one. There's no one that he that, that he looks up that 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 controls his life in any way. And to me, that's kind of worth more than money. So where he came from to where he is now, that's one of the big reasons that I'm that you know I th- that's one of the main things I like about Lavar Ball. But you said he kind of robbed his sons of 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 a certain aspect of their youth and and. You know, I, I'm not going to disagree with you about that because one of the biggest things that I was the most critical, and I and, and I I have been critical of Levar Ball, and the main thing that I was critical of him was pulling Lamelo out of school. I didn't agree with that. I was like, what is it? What is the rush? Why are we hitting the fast forward button on him becoming a professional? And I understand that the reason that he pulled him out of school because he didn't agree with the head coach, the new head coach, uh, Dennis Lattimore. And basically it was LeVar imposing his will and his ego, uh, pretty much going unchecked, uh, not agreeing with what the coach said. So if the coach doesn't fall in line with what LeVar wants, uh, there's going to be consequences and repercussions. And the consequence and repercussion was pulling LaMelo out of school, which takes him out of this sort of normal track of being uh, an everyday teenager and, and, and now he's a professional basket, basketball player. And I'm like, he was already on the best and fastest and most normal track to get to the NBA. He had two more years at Chino Hills. He had one or two years at UCLA and then he puts his name in the draft. And now all of that has evaporated and it's gone. And that was the biggest thing that I was the most and am the most critical, um, of LeVar about. And yeah, you, you, I mean, you're kind of right. I mean, LaMelo no longer has that sort of, uh, normal, uh, teenager uh, experience. He's never going to go to the prom. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's never going to do a number of different things that, that young kids do. And, 
and it was kind of sad. So how do you express that criticism? Are you talking via Twitter? Like, would you actually say something to someone? You know, how would you sort um, of yeah, journalistically well, I, express I mean, that? I, I tweeted about the fact that I, I thought that uh, LeVar was a little bit hasty in taking uh, LaMelo out of school. And by the way, I have a uh, 5,000-word deep dive on LaMelo coming out on the undefeated, which uh, I hope you enjoy. <laughs> and you can't tell the story of LaMelo without telling the story of LeVar. I mean, I think you could write an in-depth uh, piece on Lonzo with hardly even mentioning LeVar. Um, right. I think, and I, I wrote a story about LiAngelo with barely mentioning LeVar as well. But every major decision that has happened to LaMelo uh, has been determined by LeVar. So you, you, you almost at this point, because he is a kid, he's under... 18, you, you almost can't separate the two. I mean, the fact that he's been coached by LeVar since he could walk, uh, the fact that he pulled him out of school, the fact that he gave him his own shoe, the, all these other things, the fact that he took him to Lithuania, like all of these are LeVar's decisions. So when I dove into this kid, uh, you can't really tell the story of Mello without, it's so closely tied into his father in a way that his other two brothers aren't tied in. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. And Jeff, I got to call you out. I, I got to call you out, man. You're the, you're Go great, ahead, right? You're, you're incredibly prolific. Uh, been a fan of yours for 20 years, but I got to call you out about it. There's always a but. There's always a but. There's okay. always a but. The but <laughs> is coming, dude, but I got to call you out on this. Uh, you okay. put a tweet out yesterday. Uh, it was a clip of, LaMelo getting a fast break, breakaway dunk. And I don't have it in front of me, but I think you said uh, uh, everything about this is pathetic. Everything. And I'm well, – well, okay, before I call you out, let me ask you why you did that and what you were trying to say. You take this kid who should be in high school out of high school. You put him in this crappy Lithuanian league against, you know – I guess so a good friend of mine was the first professional – American to play pro in Lithuania. And I actually asked him about the league that these guys are playing in the caliber. And I was like, is it, is it like Bucknell, Delaware sort of college level? He goes, no, you might get, you might have one or two guys who could play college at Bucknell. This is not that kind of league. So you have this kid playing in a crappy league who should be in high school, um, you know, dunking in a game and, and people thinking it's a big deal. And like, he shouldn't even be there. Like he shouldn't even be there. And I just, you know, it's funny when, when, uh, the, the middle ball child was arrested in China. I actually thought, here's a guy. He has a, uh, he drives a fancy car. He has all his needs uh, met. He's going to be like, to me, it just seems like almost like a crying out. Like why else would a kid? I just, I just think everything about it is so fucked up. I just do. I don't think this is a good dad. I don't think this is a good situation. Oh, I don't think yes. this is now the way you raised me. Now you're killing me. I just don't. I just think it's really crazy. And I don't, again, like you paint the picture of these humble kids. And, and I do not doubt you at all that these are decent kids and nice kids. Why are they each getting a $100,000 BMW for their birthdays when they're like 16? I just they're don't get rich it. Kids. I just don't get it. This is what rich kids get. I don't, I don't, I don't see what's so hard to get. This is what rich kids get. They get Ferraris and Lamborghinis. 
Uh, I, not any kids I know, I guess because I'm not rich, but I got my dad's Datsun 510 used with 100,000 miles on it. I guess I was middle class. <laughs> but. So I took that tweet and I was like, it, it, the the way you explained it now, I I I understand it now. But again, like the, our we opened up this conversation talking about what a terrible medium Twitter is to express yourself, and that's a perfect example because I looked at that tweet as here is Jeff Perlman, middle aged white dude criticizing a sixteen year old kid. Come on, man! It's a sixteen year old kid who's actually pretty good and doesn't do anything wrong. So that's the way I took that tweet. But I wanted to ask you about that. Now, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing is, like you, like the idea, Jeff, that that you, that you think Levar Ball is not a good dad is crazy to me. It's absolutely insane to me. And I think you used the word loathsome one, uh, loathsome one time in our in our conversation. You describe right. Levar Ball as loathsome. That's pretty low. Yes. Okay. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. Go ahead. Right, you go know ahead. who's loathsome? That USA Olympic doctor is loathsome. True. People who actively suppress voting of, of voters is loathsome. People who destroy the environment to make a buck is loathsome. That's loathsome to me. Jeff Sessions is loathsome to me. A guy who is just absolutely tickled and thrilled about the success of his boys who takes care of his wife who suffer from a stroke this guy dresses and bathes his wife every day and gets no bigger joy than having his family around him that's not loathsome to me wait his wife who he took to lithuania his wheelchair-bound wife who he took to lithuania correct this is correct oh, i don't know I just struggle with this. I, I don't see now it. He's I just don't see it. W- the family is doing something. They're playing basketball in Lithuania, and, and you're complaining that he's taking his wife with him? If he left his I wife at think- home, you'd be like, why is this guy leaving his wheelchair-bound wife at home? He can't do anything right. Oh, my God. I, I just I can't even I, – I say this respectfully. Again, I, I, there's, there's no beef in this conversation, I promise. No, no, not at um, all. I know. Okay, to be clear. We have a guy. He has three kids. Who are excellent basketball players and and polite kids, clearly polite and nice kids. Sure. And the first one, you know, spends a year at UCLA, goes on to the NBA. We have to call that a success story. Um, people love him. Say he's a nice kid. So good, good, good. Second kid, is going to go to you. You know, goes to UCLA, gets arrested for shoplifting. Uh, dad pulls him and says, "You're going to play pro ball in Lithuania." Third kid, high school kid. Dad doesn't like the coach. Pulls him, a Lithuania. We we're definitely coming to this from two different places, and maybe Truly. it's the fact that you are a father and I'm not. But the guy who's not the father thinks the guy that we're talking about is a good father. Like the idea that he's a bad father is is terrible to me. That's that's I'll never accept anyone saying that Levar Ball isn't a good father. I just won't. I just won't because I. Does he make questionable decisions about his son's career choices? Yeah, he does. <clears throat> but that doesn't make him a bad father. I mean, here's my whole thing, Jeff. Like the I, the, the subject of like black fatherhood is really, really important to me. 
Right. And black fathers have been much maligned for, for forever. You know, sure. black fathers are criticized if they abandon their families. They're also criticized if they start businesses, raise NBA prospects, and buy them Ferraris. So my, my thing is, like, I literally don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about LeVar Ball. Because no matter what a black father does, he's maligned. Would you consider LeVar Ball a quote-unquote friend? Um, no more than I would consider Jordan Clarkson a friend. Or, okay. or Kyle Kuzma. I mean, he's not someone I'm calling up and hanging out with. Uh, right. He's someone that uh, I do write about. As journalists, we have to be unbiased. We have to be critical. We have to be skeptical. But I don't think that uh, being critical of LeVar Ball and the Ball family is the only way to cover that family. Right. No, um, no, no. One no. Thing I, I actually was going to ask. I wasn't setting you up there. I swear I was actually kind of interested in your take on can we be friends with people we cover? Do you feel like it is okay? I'm talking in general. I'm not even talking just boss right. here. Like, what is the line that we as journalists can't cross, can't cross, shouldn't cross? If LeVar Ball comes to town, I know he's from, he's from here, but whatever. If someone you, you've covered comes to town and, and he's still active and he calls you up and he says, hey, you want to go grab beers or blah, blah, blah. Is that okay? Like, what can we do? What can't we do? I wouldn't see any harm in that at all. I mean, you know, we're covering sports, Jeff. So, you know, if someone says... It let's if it's an agent, if it's a player, if it's LeVar Ball, if it's said, hey, let's go grab a beer, then you do it. I think it's good. I think right. it, I think it's nurturing uh, relationships, and relationships are kind of the main thing that we have in this business. If you're you're a good journalist, if you have good relationships, it helps you be a better journalist. Um, right. It's funny because like when I started out, like back in the day, this was uh, I was with ESPN the magazine, and this was early. Like two thousand, like ninety nine, two thousand. I was a young reporter, and I was younger than about seventy five percent of the NBA. Now I'm older than everyone in the NBA. But when I started, yeah, I was younger I than seventy five percent of the NBA. And one of the things that I had over other reporters, older reporters, was that I could hang out and relate with players. I remember. The Clippers in 2001, it was the sort of the first, uh, it was, it was, it was, the, it was the first version of the new Clippers. It was Darius Miles, Quentin Elton Richardson, Brand. and remember these guys and Elton Brand? Yeah, of course. And I would fly out to LA and say, Hey guys, what's up, man? I'm doing the story. Let's hang out. Let's roll. Let's do whatever. And it was that easy. And it helped me get access and do all these kind of things. And. When you do that over and over again, you become – I think you kind of like the people that you cover. And when you have a relationship like that and you can relate to them, I don't know if it's actual like real-world friends, but you become very friendly with people. And some of them, like if you cover them long enough, I, I think they do become your friends. I mean you're not hanging out with them every day and this type of thing. They are, these are still people that you have to be objective about and you have to cover. But so to your, to your question, like, can you become friends with people? I think you become friendly with people. So you're going out with whatever it's 2001 and you're uh, you and Darius miles or whatever going out and Darius miles gets drunk and gets in his car and blah, 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 you know, or something. 
do you then, can you then report on that as well? Or do you need to call someone else in to report on that because you were actually involved in going out with the guy? Well, if we went out and we were in the car together, we, we got, he got pulled over to DWI, then someone else would have to cover that. Like I, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't write about that. Maybe if I wrote a book about my life covering the NBA, I could write about it, but you would have to be very careful about that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And sports writers will never say this, but I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to tell you this right now. Mm-hmm. When you create a relationship with an athlete, you do your very best, uh, not to ruin it. Uh, you become a caretaker of that relationship because it doesn't benefit you to do anything to ruin that. Now you avoid these type of relationships. If, if you're like a newsman and you're, and you're covering the league and, and you know, I, I do deep dive features that try to bring out the humanity in people. So it's very different than being a beat writer uh, or being an, or, or being a, a breaking news type guy. There's all different types of, of uh, uh, of, of lanes that we, that we can stay in. Uh, so the type of thing that I do kind of lends itself to being a little bit more friendly, uh, with athletes. But the thing is, when you have that relationship, you do your very best to be a caretaker of that relationship because it doesn't benefit you to ruin that relationship. It kind of like the whole thing we were talking about earlier on Twitter. It's like, if, if somebody, if an NBA player is following me on Twitter, I may think twice about before, before tweeting about that person because Twitter is this weird medium that we've already covered that people take very, very personally. Like if I was to write a story about Draymond Green, uh, is his fiery disposition, uh, uh, more of a detriment or does it help the Warriors? And if I go to Oakland and I sit down with Draymond and say, talk about your, your, the fiery side of your personality, how that affects the team, how that affects your teammates. And then I interview his teammates and I talk to Coach Kerr and say I do all this reporting and it kind of, it, it kind of looks like that his fiery disposition hurts the team more than a health team. But if I write a very well thought out, well laid out story, uh, he wouldn't be bothered by it. But if I tweeted, uh, Draymond Green's temper hurts the, hurts the Warriors, he would be offended by that. And I think right. it's just because of the medium. But I think you have to be very careful uh, in not throwing away these relationships that you have. I mean, Jeff, you know you've been doing this for a very long time, and I'm sure you have many, many good relationships with players, and it would not benefit you to – it's going to sound weird to say this, but it, it wouldn't benefit you to be like overly critical of these people on a platform like Twitter. Am I making any sense? I think it depends. I, first of all, Twitter to me is, is very disposable. Like Twitter is not where I'm going to do serious work. So you're right. If I'm, if I'm friends with, uh, name anyone, you know, playing the major, if I'm friends with Barry Zito and Barry Zito gets drunk on, you know, whatever and goes out and makes a fool of himself. I don't feel compelled to tweet about it um, because I don't consider Twitter that important. But if if the Athletic or Bleacher Report or SI or someone called me and said, we want you to do a piece about the, you know, dissolving mental status of Barry Zito, I'd have to call him and say I'm doing it. So I wouldn't Absolutely. waste – it's almost like you don't want to waste your bullets on Twitter. That, is a, that would be a stupid place to burn bridges for no good reason. Exactly.
Yep. Before we continue with Chris Palmer, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. And when I was a kid, my life sucked. Why? Because I only own one jersey. My grandma Molly bought it for me at the Broward Mall, and it was a screen-printed Vince Ferragamo number 15 Rams jersey. I loved it, but it was the only one I had. Well, now you don't have to be like sucky little Jeff Perlman. Why? Because 503 Sports is all about throwback. We're talking USFL, we're talking World Football League, we're talking XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State, or put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Sam Mills Philadelphia Stars jersey, well, your dreams are coming true. The merch at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So don't be like little me. Go to 503-sports.com and type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your first purchase. Randomly, I came across this story, Birdman's Redemption, Bittersweet for His Mother, from May 9th, 2008. We're almost on the 10-year anniversary. ESPN.com, the lead, Chris Anderson was going to buy his mother a house. They would build it right in the middle of the 10 acres she had in rural God-knows-where Texas, which is a great line. Uh, he said he would buy her a Lamborghini, too. She laughed at that. If he just helped her pay for her meds, that would be enough. Man, this is a great freaking profile of Chris Anderson. This is a good profile of Chris Anderson, and there have been a million profiles of Birdman. That's like the first good story I think I ever wrote in my life. And and I didn't really... Here's a question. I, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you... Okay, so you've been doing this for a long time, and and you, and you and if you look at yourself as a writer, are you as good as you're ever going to be? And if so, when did you get there? Like, are, are, is Jeff Perlman who Jeff Perlman is? That's interesting. I think life experiences make you better. I really do. I think you become more empathetic as you get older, which I think helps you a lot. Actually, Chris Ballard in the last podcast talked about that. You definitely develop a sense of empathy that when you were younger, maybe you didn't have quite as much. And you lose some of the ambition as you get older. But I actually think that's a good, a good thing. It's not just about reaching the top anymore. It's about doing some, just doing excellent work. So I actually think I've, I've improved, but I do think what happens, and it's kind of interesting, a lot of people criticize you know, Rick Riley later on in his career at ESPN. I've known Rick for a long time, and the criticisms were fair. He was not the same guy at ESPN that he was at SI, and I think what happens to a certain degree also is you just get tired of doing it. It doesn't really matter to you anymore. It doesn't carry the same weight, the same excitement. I haven't, I haven't had that happen to me yet. But I think that's when it starts getting rough is when you lose the zest. Like when I look at like how good I am and how good I could be, like I, I, I think about it like a bunch of different ways. Like I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm totally aware of that. But I think, <laughs> I, you know, it's like, you know, every basketball player actually thinks he's better than he actually is. And that's the same for me as, as a writer. But, but I, I feel like they're like I can get better as a writer, but I just don't know how. What do you remember about the Birdman experience? Okay, so the Birdman experience, I, I went down, and man, it was so crazy because when you write a story, you have to do all this reporting, you have to do all this research, you literally, like, if you're writing a profile on someone, like, my kind of rule of thumb is, is literally read every single thing that's ever been written on mm -hmm. that player. And so, at the time, it was 2008, I read all the Chris Anderson stories that I could, and in every, every feature, every feature, you do all this reporting, uh, there is one source, one person who puts your story over the top, whether it's the subject of your story, 
itself or whether it's his best friend. And so in this particular story, this Chris Anderson story, that person who put the story that over the edge was his mom. And so his mom was like this biker lady. She lived on the same 10 acre lot that I wrote about in that lead and she still lives there and, and, and she, she had her eyebrows removed and she, and, and had new eyebrows tattooed in and her lipstick is like this, her lips are these, are this kind of bright, vibrant pink and they're like literally tattooed. She has like tattooed pink lips and she was wow. such a great storyteller. So I went down there and I don't even remember how I got in contact with his mom. I think Chris might have gave me her number. But anyway, so I, I contacted her and I went down there. And it's literally, so. okay, you're so far deep in Texas that uh, you come to dirt roads that don't have names. And so I pulled up to her house, and this was in 2008, and I saw the uh, the street sign. And the street sign was a a, a wooden plank with white painted letters. It was called Bluebird Lane. And I said, what's up with that street sign? And she said, the streets around here don't have names. I came up with the name of that street. And so that now that's an official street name. So if you want to mail something to her, she lives on Bluebird <laughs> Lane. And she came up okay. with it, and, she, and that's how far out she was. And so I went there, and I, I, I met with her, and she lived in this, um, I don't know what you call these kind of houses. They're like prefabricated kind of houses that arrive on like trailers and you put them on your lot and you, you know what I'm talking about? And so, and she lived yeah, in a house like that and the house that they grew up in this really old sort of like 1920s depression era house was literally right next door. And so I went down there and I talked to her and it was just amazing, man. She just like kind of poured everything out and told me all this stuff about her relationship with Chris and, you know, and the fact that they hadn't spoken in four years. And that was the thing that really got my attention because I talked to Chris before I went down to Texas and he was kind of saying that, you know, me and my mom are great. You know, we've had some rocky times, but we're repairing them right now. And so I go meet his mom and she said she hadn't spoken to him in four years. I was like, wow. wow. Those kind of stories are just, I think you don't come across those kind of stories, you know, in in a in a lifetime of, profiles of this guy who's averaging 30 and this guy who's struck out blah blah like those kind of stories are the ones that really stick isn't it so you know? awesome when you come across one of those stories because it's like okay so if i'm doing a feature profile on kobe bryant everybody knows kobe bryant's story i just have to find a unique angle or if you're doing barry bonds you have to find a unique angle well chris you survived a visit Two, two writers. That's so, it. That's I, all uh, you got, man. That's, that's it. it. That's all I got. It's a very short podcast, but I um I love this stuff. You're the first guy I've really talked with about sort of social media, and I, I just think it's an interesting. The thing that I like about it, honestly, is there isn't really an exact answer because it's uncharted territory. So there is no writer on. There is no book. There's no AP style book on how how writers and members of the media should handle social media. So I, I just was really fascinated to get your take on it. Well, thank you for having me on, man. This is an amazing podcast. I want to thank today's guest, Chris Palmer, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Palmer NBA. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, king of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at www.503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on iTunes, and reviews are always appreciated. 
Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing.